songs that I ever heard. Uh, but you know, as I as I think about the words of that song, it seems appropriate. As I not only think about this last year, as Katie's been traveling all over the world and working at camp in Columbia and preparing to start in college, it's good as a parent. It's good to be reminded of that that God not only is watching out for us, He's watching out for our kids. Uh, and that even in those moments that we're kind of challenged uh, or wondering where God is in times of pain and heartache, uh, we have that promise that if God's eye is on the sparrow, he's watching over us, he's with us. Um, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Ruth. And as I mentioned today, some of you may got, got nervous when I say it's we're looking at an entire book. It's four chapters. But I realize some of you, if you grew up in the church, some of you probably remember Sunday school lessons about Ruth. Um, Okay, we might just, I'm going to try it a little longer, and we're having some issues with this mic, so if it keeps cutting out, we will switch to the lectern. You know, as we, as I think about the idea of Ruth and and looking at that, you might be familiar with parts of the story, but we're going to be looking at it today, and I already introduced as we entered into a time of worship that our focus was on redemption. Uh, one of the most important themes in the book of Ruth is the idea of uh, God providing a kinsman redeemer. And we're going to unpack that. That might be a new phrase to many of you, uh, but we're going to unpack that today. But, you know, often if you've been walking through Mission 119, you re- or, and maybe it's the first time you've really tackled the Old Testament reading, uh, or maybe you've experienced this in the past where you tackle the Old Testament, and there are times where you're like, very clear that there's a whole different culture, that you're not understanding the culture of the Old Testament and understanding what is happening. You, you read things about covenants, about sacrifices, about festivals. You, you, you read things about strange dietary requirements, um, what you can eat and what you can't eat. And, and there's so many things that you read where it's just like, it's very clear reminder that the world in which we live in today is very different than the world um, that, that of the Old Testament. And, and I appreciate the fact that John, uh, Reverend Soper, brought out some of those key themes because there's some beautiful themes. When you take the time to really understand the world and understand what the original hearers of the, that word would have been, uh, it, it gives us insight and a greater understanding of God and the relationship he desires that we have with him. But often it even sets things up to have a greater understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And that's one of the themes today, uh, the, the idea of the kinsman redeemer that we see uh, in this passage really foreshadows Jesus' work of redemption and the fact that while we were destitute, while we were uh, in, a, in a place of, of, of need, God provided, the Father provided his son. Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we might find forgiveness and, and have the hope of eternity. Uh, that picture of redemption that we see in the New Testament is reflected in the story of Ruth. And so we're going to read certain sections of the story, um, but we're also, uh, there are some places where I'm just going to give comment and then we're going to just keep telling the whole story, but we're going to read some specific verses as well. But uh, So just be prepared to keep moving. Um, but you know, what's interesting is we dive into chapter one. Uh, the story begins not with, the namesake of the book doesn't begin with Ruth. Uh, it begins with an Israelite couple from Bethlehem, Elimelech and Naomi. I was telling some people this morning, it was like, I, for some reason, I was struggling with pronouncing Elimelech. And then all I could think of was in the jungle, 
um, uh, I mean, yeah, I can't even do that now. But if you think about Elimelech, 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 okay, it'll, st it'll stick with you. You'll be thinking about that later. I already had one person say, I'll never read this again without thinking of that. But Elimelech, honestly, how many of you knew that name before we started today? Was that on your mind? That's not the name we remember. You might remember Naomi, Elimelech's wife. And obviously you remember Ruth, who's the namesake of the story. But really the story begins with um, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech. And, and they go into exile. They leave Israel, leave Bethlehem, their homeland, because of a famine. And just, I mean, again, as much as the world is different, a lot of times the world is the same. There are a lot of things that happened thousands of years ago that still happens today. War, famine. Other things will cause people to leave their homeland and go to find help. And so Naomi, Elimelech, are traveling and they end up, they leave Israel and they end up in the country of Moab uh, with their two sons, living as exiles, as sojourners in a foreign land. Uh, we don't get a lot of detail, but we find out that uh, eventually Elimelech dies, Naomi's husband. And, and, and it goes on to say that, oh, that the two sons find women, Moabite women, and they, they marry the two Moabite women, uh, and they live in the area for about 10 years, um, but then eventually we're told that the sons die. So what you have now is Naomi with no husband, no sons, with two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. I have no song to help us with Orpah, so you can think about that, but... Um, you know, you think about those two women, those two women are now with Naomi. So Naomi leaves Israel, goes to this land of Moab with a full family, a husband, two kids. And now it's just her and these two daughter-in-laws. Naomi eventually decides that she needs to return home. And so that's where we're going to pick up in verse 8, Ruth 1, uh, verses 8 through 14 we see um, Naomi and her decision and her, what she shares with her two daughters-in-law. It says in verse 8, But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each, each of you to her, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And, and they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I shall say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone against me. And then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. You know, when you hear that, it's, again, this is a, the cultural differences here. Um, in this world, in this situation where Naomi is now with these two daughters, all three widows, there are a few things worse in that day and age for a woman. Having no husband, having no sons, uh, it, it, they're in a place where what, what 
Naomi describes is a place of bitterness, of calamity. She realizes that, that there's no one to care for her. And, and in that world, it was a very different world than which we live in today. Uh, that, that means that there's going to be a potential loss of income, loss of support, loss of possession, loss of property. Uh, they're desperate and they're destitute. And, and so what Naomi's doing here is she's, as much as I think she probably would want them to stay together because they've all experienced the grief of losing their husbands. They, they may not have a lot, but they have each other. She sends them, she's sending them away for their benefit. It may not make sense in our world, but it, it, the reality is if, if she sends these two Moabite women back to their families, there'd still be the hope that they'd be brought back into their, their homes and possibly remarry and be cared for and, and, and they'd be in a safe place in society. But the text that we just read said that there was this, their time, all three of them weeping, but then in verse 14, it says, they lifted up their voices and they wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah eventually leaves. She takes the instruction from Naomi and she returns home. Whereas Ruth makes the pledge to stay with Naomi. Now, Naomi, in this moment, uh, we see in verses 15 through 18, she not only makes a choice to stay with Naomi, but she explains why. And, and you see, and we might come back to this in a couple of weeks. Um, I may actually come back to we're looking at a broad scope today of the book of Ruth, but we may come back and look specifically at Ruth's character. And what you see even in these words of her pledge. But uh, look at verses 15 through 18. It says, and she said, see, you, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will, be, there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Ruth, in this moment, is, is basically severing her relationship with her family of birth, where she could return home and be cared for, and she's pledging herself to continue to live with Naomi even in a place where they have questions about the next meal, their provision, no heir, no husbands. In this place, she is making the commitment and the pledge to say, I'm going with you. Your land, your home will be my home. Your God will be my God. Ruth makes this pledge and they return home. They, they come back to Israel. And, and so in that moment, um, Ruth takes the role of provider. And so she goes out, she's going out to glean grain from the fields. Uh, and, and so she's going out to gather. And, and this is an important thing that, again, one of those pieces that we read throughout Scripture that you might just read right over because it's something different. But, you know, it's, I think it's an important reminder today that you see throughout Scripture God's provision and care for the sojourner. God's provision and care for the widow, the exile. And we see that in Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. And this is all sets up what Ruth is doing and going out to glean wheat or glean grain from the fields. 
She's doing what she knows she can do based on God's word in Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. It says, when you reap the harvest, it's God's word to Israel. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 24:19. this is a similar uh, admonition. It says, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord our God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Ruth is going out claiming that hope and that promise that there would be food available to her in the field. And so she goes uh, and she finds a spot where, um, where a man named Boaz is, is working with, and his family are working the field. And, and in that moment, she begins to work and, they, and there's an exchange wondering who this woman is. But in the story, Boaz offers protection and it immediately offers protection for this woman, Ruth, and, and invites her to work with the other women in the field, which was an issue of protection. And the text actually even says, in at least one or two occasions, that it was protection from being assaulted. That was the world in which they lived in, that this woman could have been assaulted if she didn't have the protection of a community around her. We have this picture of Boaz caring for her and already assuming this role of protector. And, and Ruth, when, when she experiences this kindness from Boaz in Ruth, two, Ruth chapter two, verses 10 through 12, it says, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been told has been fully told to me and how you left your father and your mother in your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. There's a beautiful image here. And again, we haven't even gotten into the full story of the kinsman redeemer yet. But in, this, in these words from Boaz and, and what's happening here, and especially in verse 12, you see that not only is Boaz caring for Ruth, providing protection and food, but he connects it to God's provision for Ruth and Naomi. Look at the words again. It's a full reward be given to you by the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He's reminding them of God's watchful care in your life. When Katie told me the song she was doing, she said, without fit. I'm like, yeah, it'll, it definitely, definitely fit. That's a, it's a reminder. This story is, it reminds me a lot of Hagar and God's not only seeing and, and caring for the person who feels like they may not be, their case may not be seen. You see that God not only sees, but God cares and God is providing. Later, Ruth returns from the field and she goes and gives a report to Naomi of how the day went. And let's pick up in verse 19, chapter two, verse 19. It says, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. 
And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name whom I worked for today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Two, two things in those verses that I just want to highlight. Naomi recognizes Boaz's name and, and, and sees in this moment that in, Boaz has already expressed kindness to Ruth and Naomi. That, that idea that you'd be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, Boaz's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Uh, Naomi has already described earlier that she would, her and Ruth were in that place of describing themselves as under calamity or death. And yet Boaz is showing kindness and care and concern. But then the most key thing that she says, and by the way, this man is one of our redeemers. And, and that brings us to this idea of the kinsman redeemer that, that is, was a, a practice in Israel that was based on Leviticus 25, 25. It says, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. The idea of a kinsman redeemer is a man who was based on being related to the, to the family. In this situation, he's related to Elimelech. Uh, being related, he's a, a man who is able to redeem his close relative's property and wife in order to bring up sons for the deceased lineage. It's, it's not only buying property, it's, it's, it's caring for the, the living, the widows that are left, and it's providing a way for the, there to be a continuation of the line of the deceased family member. In that scene, or that idea, in this moment, we, we know that Ruth, uh, you see God's providence. You see that God clearly led Ruth to the right field. And, and Boaz has already demonstrated a kindness. She's, he's, he's already taken notice of Ruth. And he's demonstrated kindness to her and is already caring for Ruth and Naomi. And so there's a little bit of a glimmer in the story now of hope. That God is not only providing food for that day and, and what Ruth gathered in the field, but you're seeing this picture of hope that there might be one who would redeem their situation that would make their situation right to where they wouldn't have to worry about protection, about support, and about having an heir. The story goes on that Naomi finds out that Boaz is going to be winnowing barley at a, at a threshing floor uh, into, into the evening. And so knowing where Boaz is going to be working late at night, Naomi basically develops a plan of action. And, and in chapter 3, we see Naomi's instructions to, to Ruth. It says in verse 1, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on, put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he is finishing eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she said, 
you want me to uncover his feet? No, you're reading. That, wouldn't that be an appropriate response? Like, for those of us that are reading this story, we're like, wait, you want, us, you want me to what? That's, I mean, again, this is a cultural thing that we have to pause and, and understand the significance to what is happening here. And, and so, it, again, when Naomi says, then go uncover his feet and lie down, and he, Boaz, will tell you what to do, it, it implies that there's, a cer- there's something ceremonial happening here that is significant. That this is a cultural practice that makes sense. Um, and, and so Ruth responds, verse 5, all that you say, I will do. Without getting into a lot of that, we, we can see that that idea of what she's being instructed to do is when, once Boaz is done working and he retires uh, to his tent, that she used to approach him, she used to uncover his feet, that this uncovering the feet, it's, it's, it's a picture of recognizing Ruth's and Naomi's dependence upon Boaz. In, in some sense, it's almost like a bold marriage proposal. Very bold marriage proposal. And, and, and so Ruth goes out. She does. Again, remember, she's Moabite. she's Moabite. She may or may not understand this fully, what she's being asked to do, but she trusts Naomi, and she goes to do what Naomi has instructed her to do. And in verse 8, we see the reaction. Ruth 3, verse 8, says at midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Picture that. Man wakes up, there's someone moving things around at his feet. It's going to wake you up, wonder what in the world is going on. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. See the similar language of God's provision, Yahweh's provision earlier, spreading the wings like a like a uh, an eagle would spread its wings over its young. It's a place of need and a place of dependence that's reflected in those words. She says, "Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer." And he said, "May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor." And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. There is a redeemer nearer than I. Remaining, remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So, we understand this idea of the kinsman redeemer of, of, of the one who would be able to redeem Naomi and Ruth's situation and care for them, that, that Boaz, while he is in line, he's not first in line to have to fulfill that responsibility. And so he's recognizing he has to defer to the first redeemer, the, the person who would be next first in line to care for this need. So Boaz, he goes and he finds this other this other man, and he gathers 10 of the city elders, and he explains the situation. He gathers, gathers these elders, because this, again, this is, again, a very cultural thing for us. Marriage is something that is very much individual. In, in this culture, it is very much a communal thing and, and caring for one another. And, and so he, he invites these elders because this is something that affects the entire community, but he also invites them there as witnesses because it's a legal transaction, what's about to take place. And, and so the first redeemer, 
when, when presented the idea of redeeming a piece of property, he seems interested and he's ready to redeem this property, but then he understands that redeeming the property, there's, there are two women that come with it. And so he backs out. He backs out and says in verse 6, Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So he's now renounced, he's renounced the, the claim to be able to redeem uh, the situation for Naomi and Ruth. And, and so it goes on in verse 9 then, Boaz then declares to the elders and to the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Chilion and to Mahalan. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Mahalan, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. I realize there's, there's a lot of things going on here. One, I mean, the idea of marrying someone that's somewhat related to you, that's a, that's a cultural thing that we kind of have to get beyond. I think we, we all struggle maybe at times getting beyond that. Um, but we also see this issue of the idea of a responsibility to marry this woman, to perpetuate a, a, a line, a heritage. Again, that's, that's the reality of the world in which they lived in. That was critical. This was not just sentiment. This was something critical for, for, for Ruth and Naomi and, and for them to have an heir. And Boaz is embracing this role of being the kinsman redeemer, the one who would not only buy the field, but that would care for Naomi and care for Ruth and provide an heir for Naomi. We get to chapter four, Ruth and Boaz marry. Let's pick up in verse 13. It says, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman, the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. You know, if you've been reading the Old Testament, you understand that the role, and this is true in a lot of cultures today, having a son carried a lot more significance in a lot of cultures. And in this culture, we, we, whether we're reading Joseph's story or any of the other stories in the Old Testament, the idea of having not only an heir, but having a son was critical. And yet you see Ruth lifted up again in the, this assessment for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Those last two names should sound familiar. That's Jesse and King David. You know, when we look at Naomi's story, we see Naomi, when she returns, she describes herself. She, she doesn't want to be called Naomi. She literally says, call me bitter. Because her situation is, she describes as awful. She's like, I left with a, with a full, an abundance, a husband and two children. 
and I've come just with this foreign woman living with me. And, and so we see in this story, and, and really a lot of this is, the focus is not just on Ruth. The focus is on God's provision for Naomi. God taking her from a place of bitterness and brokenness and need and caring for her, providing everything that she needs and sending a kinsman redeemer. Not only would he redeem their situation, he would provide protection, he would provide care, but he also provided an heir. And again, let's think about this for a second. That heir, Naomi and Ruth, Think about the fact that Ruth, a Moabite woman, a foreigner, is part of the line of King David. And even more significantly, what we see in the Gospel of Matthew, verses, chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, Ruth ends up not only in the lineage of King David, but of the King of Kings. She ends up in the lineage of Jesus himself. In, in Matthew 1, 5 through 6, it says, And Simon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. You see, in, in, even in the New Testament, in the Gospel, a recognition that, that God had not only had his eye to watch over and care for Ruth and Naomi, but God had a bigger plan and a bigger story for Ruth for Boaz, than even they would understand even at their time of death. That not only would this heir, this heir to, to Naomi, be a, a, a place of hope for her family, but we know that that line continued to give us our Redeemer. That Jesus, our Redeemer, is the one who comes as our kinsman Redeemer. And I, I, you know, there's a lot of scriptures that would talk about his redemption, but I just want to highlight, highlight a few things. To, how, do we, how do we get from Ruth and Boaz, and Boaz being the kinsman redeemer? I mean, it's easy to kind of look at it and see the, the parallels. But I want us to focus on, on four ways that Jesus really fulfilled this role. One, remember, Jesus became like one of us. Remember that to, for Boaz to fulfill the role of the Redeemer, it's kinsman Redeemer. He had to be family. As Christians, we don't start with Easter. We celebrate at Christmas the incarnation that God the Father sent his son. In John 1.14, it says, In the word, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have a redeemer who can identify with everything we experience in this life because he became one of us. He took on human flesh. We celebrate that Jesus is not only fully God, Jesus is fully human. We also see that Jesus was willing. He not only was one of us, became one of us, but Jesus was willing. Jesus demonstrates that the Garden of Gethsemane, not only a, a, a desire and willingness to lay down his life and obedience to the Father, but he, he does this for those that he would redeem. John 10, 18 says, no one takes, this is Jesus' words, no one takes it, my life, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus willingly laid down his life, both in obedience to the Father, but, but also in doing that, 
to reflect the love that he, Jesus also said that there's no greater love that anyone can show a man than to lay down his life for a friend. Jesus chose to lay down his life for us. He was willing to pay the price. Remember that first redeemer in the Ruth story? He, was, he liked the idea of getting an extra property, but he didn't like the idea of responsibility to have to care for Naomi and Ruth and how that would complicate his inheritance. He may have been able, but he wasn't willing. Jesus not only became one of us, but he was willing to lay down his life for each one of us. And then he was also able. He was willing and he was able. Romans 5, 18 through 19 says, Therefore, as one trespass, referring to Adam and Eve's trespass, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in the life of all men. Whereas by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Jesus lived a perfect life. He went to the cross as a sinless sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the only one that could take our sin upon himself because he had lived a perfect life. He was in a position, the only one that could pay the penalty for our sin because Jesus lived a righteous life. He was not only willing to lay down his life, he was able to pay the price. And he paid it in full. And that's the last parallel. We see Jesus paid the full price of our redemption. Boaz didn't just care for a part of Naomi and Ruth's needs. He paid the full price. And Jesus does the same. We're all like Naomi and Ruth we, we return, when they returned from Israel. Remember, they were broken. They were destitute. They were in need of a redeemer. Every one of us are in need of a redeemer. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all fallen short of God's best. And the wages of sin, Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of our sin, that what we deserve, what we earn because of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus fully paid the penalty for our sin. In him, in Ephesians 1.7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19 says, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways that you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of the lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus shed his own blood. We, took, we celebrate that every month when we take the bread and we take the cup. Jesus fully paid the penalty for our sin. So that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and what he's done for us, we can not only know that we are forgiven, but we can have Jesus redeem us, buy us back, reconcile us into a relationship with God, our Father, knowing that he paid it all for us. A verse I want to leave you with, I think is a good reminder, when we think about the story of Ruth and how God provided we see that Boaz paid the full price. We we reflect upon Jesus and what he has done for us. We know that Jesus shed his own blood for us. Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 23, he says, you were bought, that's redemption language, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. 
remember today that we have been bought with a price. Jesus shed his blood for each one of us to redeem us back, to buy us back so that we can be reconciled to relationship with God our Father. Today as we close, I just we're going to sing a song reflecting upon God's love for us. Uh, if you're here today and, and you need to talk to someone about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus in this way and, and, and to trust Jesus as your kinsman redeemer, as, as your redeemer, uh, talk to me, talk to one of the leaders here today. But as we sing, feel free to the altar, know the altar is open. Talk to us after, after the service. But know that we have a great redeemer, the one who shed his own blood on the cross for us. Can you pray with me? Dear Holy Father, we are grateful for the truth of this story. And Lord, we thank you that we can get beyond the cultural differences of the story of Ruth and Naomi and Elimelech and, and see the beauty of your provision for people who were destitute, people that were hurting, people that were struggling. And Lord, in, in Boaz's actions and caring and, 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 and embracing the role of kinsman redeemer, we see that foreshadowing what Jesus, what you did for each one of us. And I just pray even now that you would remind us of the great price that has been paid, that we might be forgiven and restored to relationship with you. Praise in Jesus' name.